Welcome to this PLUS podcast. Before we get started, we would like to remind everyone that the information and opinions expressed by our speakers today are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of their employers or of PLUS. The contents of these materials may not be relied upon as legal advice. Before I get started, let's meet each of our speakers. I'll turn it over to Kevin LaCroix to get us started. Thanks, Katie, and hello, everyone, and welcome to the second installment in our series of podcasts talking about the impact of the new Biden administration on the world of DNO insurance. Uh, we have a great panel today and looking forward to talking with um, our um, return guest, that's Rob Yellen of Willis Towers Watson, and our featured speaker, uh, Megan Brown of the Wiley Law Firm. Um, there have been some significant developments since our last podcast. Uh, just in the last few days, uh, Gary Gensler was confirmed as head of the SEC. And there have been a number of other uh, seats that have been filled since our prior podcast as well. So what are your opening thoughts, Rob? And, and where do you see this discussion going? And what are you looking forward to talking about? Well, thank you, Kevin. And, and it, it's, uh, let me also thank Plus for having us back on again. Um, I, you know, I, I think we're facing... I don't know if back to the future is the right phrase, but um, it could be deja vu all over again. I, I see a lot of the Obama administration type policies coming out and then a bunch of new ones dealing with uh, more current uh, events, risks and themes. But uh, when the Obama administration was um, in place, my concern from a DNO perspective was on investigations. And I think investigations are going to resurface in a way um, maybe unprecedented way, that's going to be the number one thing that we see that, that changes. There's a lot more going on and it's not limited to that. But I think in terms of change of themes and, and temperature, investigation coverage is going to come back to the, to the forefront of what we're talking about in DNO. So Megan, your remit is broader than Rob's and mine are, that you're focused on more then um, you know we tend to focus on the SEC and the DOJ, but you have a much broader focus, and and you're taking in more of of what's going on in Washington. So I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on um, what what the changes are that are afoot with the new Biden administration and what the implications may be. No, uh, super happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and thanks to Plus for doing this. Um, you're right. Um, our practice at Wiley does a lot of privacy, cybersecurity, and really watches the tech regulatory space from a bunch of different perspectives, including sort of the the sort of governance aspects of things, advising companies on on how to be managing data, how to um, implement robust and um, demonstrable cybersecurity programs, but all the way to working with the White House on new technology policy, supply chain regulation. Um, so we get to see a, a really broad swath and you know, have been doing this for a while to see the ebbs and flows of policy with administration changes. And so you know, I think um, this is timely because when you guys did your previous podcast, um, it was in January, there was still a lot of open seats um, in, the, in the federal administrative state. Some of those seats have started to be filled and I believe that personnel is policy. So as we see some of these nominations get made, uh, we're learning a lot. And I think we have a sense of, of, of where things may be going. I tend to agree with Rob. Part of this is deja vu all over again, but I think there's gonna be some, some innovative approaches when you bring in some of the ESG topics you guys have talked about in the past, some of the um, 
sort of redoubled focus on, on social justice and some of these issues. But just to take a few examples, um, you know, of the, the nominations and what they might portend, right? We've seen um, some seats get filled at DOJ, right? They now have a deputy attorney general, Lisa Monaco, who's a very serious uh, national security lawyer, uh, but they also have the number three at the agency. Vanita Gupta is controversial. She was only approved recently 51 to 49. Um, and her background suggests a strong focus by the Department of Justice across its civil litigation docket and civil regulatory dockets on sort of, um, you know, equity type issues, um, things like looking perhaps into bias in algorithms um, and concerns about the effects of certain new technologies. Um, so I think that's an interesting one to watch. Um, at the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Communications Commission, something notable to point out is they, the White House is still not picked chairwomen or chairmen for those agencies. They have two acting chairwomen um, who are both pretty aggressive in what they've talked about wanting to accomplish, but they've not been nominated. Um, so that's an interesting one because both of those agencies are poised to be quite impactful in the areas of privacy, cyber, and technology. Um, notably, Rohit Chopra, who's a commissioner at the Federal Trade Commission now and has been very outspoken on the need to do more vis-a-vis -vis the private sector, has been nominated uh, for the CFPB. And uh, his nomination is controversial. All 12 Republicans on the Senate Banking Committee have opposed him, but it's expected that he'll move over to CFPB. Um, so there's, there's a lot of moving parts in the agencies um, the last one I'll note is the sort of the Department of Commerce has been taking on a very um, active role on cybersecurity and supply chain security, which has been interesting to watch. Um, they've got several under um, several rulemakings and several activities underway. And I think Gina Raimondo, who's the Secretary of Commerce, um, has been very forward leaning in her language about maintaining some of the existing policies vis-a-vis, -vis, say, China. But I do see some interesting efforts there that will sort of increase the accountability that the government wants to see from the private sector. Um, and then finally, I'll just close. There's a lot of moving parts on cyber. They've staffed up. Um, parts of the National Security Council. Um, the, they've made announcements of key hires and people, at least in my space, are very optimistic. They're both, they're all sort of competent, um, you know, thoughtful people, but I think there's a lot of regulatory activity and quasi-regulatory activity in the, in the nature of enforcement, but also investigations and sort of um, arm-twisting information sharing that's going to happen that will, that is affecting the private sector on things from um, supply chain to cybersecurity to um, um, Internet of Things and emerging technology. That's really interesting, Megan, it, particularly a lot of agencies that that I tend not to think that much about because they don't really affect my world day to day. You know, my world is the DNO insurance world, but you're right. Uh, you start talking about some of these other agencies and it definitely can have a big impact. Rob, you were, you were listening to that as well. What are your thoughts and, and what do you see based on the Megan's observations? Um, so, so Kevin, that, that's a fair question. I think it's not just about what the SEC is going to do this year for people who are paying attention to directors and officers liability. I mean, I, we've got a, a number of other cooks stirring the pot, and that's going to depend on your focal issues. So if you're focusing on, on ESG, everybody's trying to talk about that. If you're focusing on, um, you know, disclosures relating to uh, cybersecurity or privacy, 
well, it's not just going to be the SEC talking about that too. So for instance, you're looking at financial stability, you have Janet Yellen and the Treasury Secretary also looking at hedge funds and at, at money markets. And so, um, you, you know, we, we're going to see a lot of different angles um, of attack for, for exposure, both from a, a rulemaking uh, and enforcement and, and pop possibly, and I know I said both, but possibly as well, um, each of these different efforts will give private litigants some new fodder for the, for the complaints that they bring. What about her comments about the DOJ? I, I personally found that very interesting. I mean, when you, when you hear those kind of comments about the DOJ, you know, obviously, the, if personnel is policy, as Megan said, what are your thoughts about um, what the implications are from the appointments to the DOJ and maybe the FTC and some of the other um, agencies that have active enforcement regimes that affect the DNO space? I, I think you're trying to prompt me for, you know, to, to, to plug into my, my theme of investigations are up. And that certainly, uh, you know, we're going to have a more aggressive DOJ. We also, you know, I, I think it comes back to, um, you know, when Merrick Garland got appointed, uh, you know, one of the things he said, and he, he focused on um, communities of mm -hmm. color. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote him here. Uh, communities of color and other minorities still face discrimination in housing, education, employment, and the criminal justice system and bear the brunt of harm caused by pandemic, pollution, and climate change. And if you think about it from that standpoint, I think we're going to have uh, a, a DOJ that's very focused on the people, whether you're talking about um, from an investment standpoint or you're talking about it from you know, a, a larger who's being discriminated against and how we root that out. If I could throw in there, I yes, was just going to comment on that. I think, you know, we've already seen um, just in, you know, in a blog post, I think from last week that raised some eyebrows uh, from the Federal Trade Commission uh, that they're, I don't think they're going to sit idly by and um, sort of let technology unfold without being scrutinized uh, because there are these concerns. They've been raised in previous reports. Various agencies have weighed in. And whether you agree or disagree with the premise or the conclusions, I think the message has gone out loud and clear that things like machine learning, things like um, facial recognition, all of these tools that could be extremely economically beneficial that are driving innovation within companies and across companies are going to be subject to uh, scrutiny by the Federal Trade Commission, by the Department of Justice and others. So I think that's one trend um, that we see. I, I fear there could be some uh, downsides to that scrutiny if we end up moving towards sort of a permission-based approach, or if we're too worried about the risks. Um, but I think that's an area that we're going to see uh, many across government wanting to um, address and lay out some standards. There's standards work underway, but I think that may sort of all get um, a shot in the arm, so to speak. And I think companies that may not think of themselves as traditionally regulated need to be paying attention to the possibility that they could come under scrutiny for their practices, for the technologies they develop, and for the policies and protections that they're putting around it with an emphasis on sort of explainability and transparency are sort of two of the buzzwords that policymakers are talking about a lot these days. And Megan, if I could just layer on to that, I think, you know, um, what we've seen in the first 
part of this year within these 100 days is it's not just about enforcement. It's not just about litigation. There are companies that have taken positions, say, for instance, on Georgia election laws that have had a very significant impact on how those companies are perceived. Um, it's been a very difficult situation for some of the companies, a kind of a catch-22 situation. I think you're going to see more of that as we move forward. Um, so the risks here aren't just litigation. It's also about reputation um, and how uh, companies talk about ESG is going to be very important. So Megan, one uh, area you didn't mention in your um, intro comments uh, is the, the judiciary, the judicial appointment power of the president obviously is significant. Um, and there are a number of vacancies. Um, I, I think President Biden has made just uh, a handful, maybe fewer than 10 nominations so far, none of which have been confirmed. But um, as you're looking across sort of the impact of the Biden administration more broadly, what are the, what's, what's the scuttlebutt about the uh, judicial nominations and the judiciary? I mean, the, I was a former uh, DOJ official and I have lots of friends who served in high levels and some of whom are now on the bench, uh, so to speak. And I, I believe that judicial nominations are part of a, a key part of a president's legacy and are, are think something that the Biden administration and his team are looking very carefully at because they understand that litigation, whether it's class action litigation and, and fights over, you know, standing or, you know, um, all the many kinds of, of things that get brought into the courts, you know, it's it's really an important lever. Now, I'm I'm I I tend to be somewhat optimistic that I think most judges, whatever the nature of the president who uh, appointed them, are doing their level best to get the law right. I don't actually think that most judges are sort of out there trying to to shift policy, but. Um, the judicial branch is super important to the rule of law and to the enforcement of things like limitations on the ability to sue. And I think they're gonna be looking for people who are going to um, demonstrate their interest in access to courts, broadening access to courts and helping to limit some of the things they think the Trump administration did to say, um, you know, limit standing or reduce the the what I would consider to be class action abuses. So I think they're going to be looking for for judges who have a pretty expansive view of the role of courts in um, in those kinds of issues. I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, I think they they'll take it very seriously and see it as part of their agenda uh, to get people in who share their view of the world. Rob, what are your thoughts about the judiciary? I can't beat that. Uh, I think that was a pretty good wrap. And I also know we're a little thin on time and we haven't even started talking about the SEC. So Kevin, I'm actually going to push back. Do you have anything you'd like to throw in on the judiciary? Uh, just one thing, which is I, um, I, I am very interested in Megan's take. I think it's probably important for everyone to understand that it's very unlikely that President Biden is going to get three nominations for the Supreme Court the way President Trump did. Um, he may get one. Um, who knows what the future may hold? He may get more than one, but I don't think he's going to get three. So I think that the 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 court that we have now is going to be the court that addresses um, all of the various matters that percolate up from the lower courts and from the administrative authorities, and that will have a significant impact on the long term legacy. So what do you want to say about the SEC, Rob? Well, I think we should start with some of the appointments and some of the people that have been 
added to the staff. I don't know if you want to lead this because I know when we talked about it, you were um, fully engaged in, in uh, running through the who's who, but, but um, I'd be happy to take second chair or first chair as you may uh, prefer. Well, I, I will just note that in addition to Gary Gensler having his nomination confirmed recently, the first act he took in terms of personnel was a, appointing a, a director of the Division of Enforcement. Um, he appointed um, Paul Weiss' partner, Alex O, as the head of, of the Division of Enforcement, a, an experienced uh, government attorney. She was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York and worked on securities fraud prosecution. So I, I think we can expect that we've got... Um, a, a, an active cop on the beat, and um, we can look for um, uh, a, an active SEC in, enforcement division. And that goes back to your point about investigations, but I think it also implies something about um, enforcement activity as well. Um, it, what are your thoughts, further thoughts about the SEC then, Rob? So, so to me, it's um, Heather Slovakin Corzo was appointed as policy director. That's a new function and um, her background is AFL-CIO. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how an SEC with uh, somebody who has the views of a union coming in and, and helping it frame policy, how that's going to ultimately affect the things we've been talking about, enforcement, rulemaking, um, and litigation. I think we could probably do an entire session just on um, our thoughts about um, likely directions of enforcement and regulatory activity from the SEC. I know for sure we're going to see more on climate change, ESG. I think there will be investigations relating to the green sill and Ar Ar Archegos failures, um, retail trading, um, including um, trading apps. I, it's a long list. Uh, but I, I'm going to change directions instead because we have the benefit of a person who's focused on one particular topic here, and we should take advantage of that. I know, Megan, your focus is on um, cyber and privacy issues, and you mentioned that a little bit before, but I wonder if you could go into that some more and talk about where you see in that space, the cyber privacy space, um, the administration's efforts going and what, what the implications are for companies. Yeah, sure. And I think that's a that's a huge question because there's so many players right now trying to do things on cyber. Um, so this is not going to be comprehensive because that would be a five-hour podcast. I think just to pick up on the SEC point, I do see uh, a more assertive SEC in the area of cyber in particular, uh, but also generally sort of governance issues. There's a proposal out there that, um, there's, that would call for a cybersecurity um, Sarbanes-Oxley, right? They want to amend Sarbanes-Oxley to treat cyber like financial controls with third-party audits and um, certifications from the company uh, that are more robust by far than the, than the guidance that the SEC has put out now. That has been promoted by something called the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. And for anyone who's interested in cyber and the direction of cyber generally at the federal level, I would commend that they go find that Solarium Commission website and look at the many reports they've generated. Um, that Sarbanes-Oxley idea is just one of, of almost 100 recommendations that they put out in a report last year. And I would just note the way that the Solarium Commission has been operating, and it's made up of 
uh, congressmen, government officials, and uh, I will I will say a scant number of private um, experts. They're putting out these recommendations and then pushing for them to be included in the National Defense Authorization Act. I will note last year's National Defense Authorization Act contained in it a provision um, addressing SEC authorities related to penalties. And I, so I think folks need to pay attention to that National Defense Authorization Act playbook as well. Uh, but big picture, taking a step back on where I think cyber is going to go this year, I think you're going to see a lot more push towards um, regulation and accountability, whether it's rulemaking or through investigations, uh, that remains to be seen. I think it'll be sort of an all of the above approach, but we've got, um, I think the SEC is going to act because they don't want to be outflanked by the New York uh, Department of Financial Services, right? Um, and they've been very active. But you're also going to see cybersecurity at the Department of Commerce. Um, you're going to see a huge push at the Department of Homeland Security. And that's an agency that my bet is most of your listeners don't watch very much. But I think if anyone's worried about the expectations on private companies for cyber, that's an agency that folks need to start paying attention to. They just recently in the last National Defense Authorization Act got much sought after subpoena power to look at um, ISPs and other companies. So the DHS is a, is, a, is a place where the private sector and the government collaborate a lot. It's a non-regulator for the most part, but they are pushing forward on myriad fronts uh, that I think are gonna elevate the standard of care expected of a lot of companies, including uh, public companies. Then you're gonna see activity at the Federal Trade Commission and a variety of alphabet soup agencies. And then the big question for a lot of us is whether Congress is gonna move forward with privacy legislation um, and or uh, some version of a national data breach standard. There's a, there's a proposal circulating now for mandatory um, incident reporting that's very broad. Um, so I think there's a lot of moving parts, but I see on cyber this year being sort of, um, if not a turning point, an inflection point where the, the government has to choose whether it's gonna continue to try and support the private sector and help, or if it's gonna start going with a, a more stick approach as opposed to a carrot approach. And my concern is that they'll, they'll move towards a more heavy oversight role with a lot of investigations to try and understand what the private sector is doing and not doing. So Rob, I, you're listening with a similar set of ears that I have. You know, we're both uh, focused on the, the DNO exposure. When you hear those kinds of things, wh what are your thoughts about what the implications are for the DNO insurance arena? Well, I, I mean, I think the first part of this year has been indicative of what companies are, are dealing with in cyber, actually, to get some framework to work within or uh, to get more of a framework to work within would be very helpful for um, for public companies and for private companies to understand what the expectation is that where the bar is set because there's no question that the threats in cyber are dynamic they um, are not easy to fend off there's um, advanced persistent threats or people who are determined to get in with a lot of resources and so companies are uh, very exposed to being surprised. Uh, and we've had some big hacks early this year that have embarrassed and um, exposed an awful lot of data. And we really do need to do something about it. So I'm actually encouraged to see all this activity. And I hope when um, the 
regulatory framework is built, maybe we can see uh, some protections built in for companies that are doing the right thing. And because cyber is so difficult and it's morphing so fast, um, we probably use some litigation relief um, and, and hopefully that'll be part of it. But I, that may just be wishful thinking on my part. Uh, but we, we definitely need a better framework. It's interesting because Megan didn't talk about uh, privacy uh, uh, regulation, legislation, and enforcement. Um, while she was also talking about cybersecurity, and maybe it's embedded in there, but I'd, I'd be, because I think it's the other piece of this that's going to be a huge threat um, that we're dealing with, not just in, in 2021, but I think, you know, going forward, it's going to get become a bigger and bigger part of what makes up DNO losses. Uh, I'd be curious, Megan, if you can speak to the privacy side of, of where developments are. I'd, I'd love to. Thanks. Um, I, I have to confess to being a bit pessimistic and worried about the privacy litigation and liability uh, landscape, because I think the courts are under increasing stress on the doctrines that have kept those cases largely at bay. Um, and I'm referring there to the sort of standing doctrine, which is, you know, you got to, in the normal course, you have to actually be harmed by something to bring a lawsuit. And I think the, the plaintiff's bar has been chipping away at that in the privacy space, but it's also the, um, it's the, one of the key uh, battlegrounds in the current discussions about privacy legislation is whether there should be a private right of action and what that might look like and whether there should be liability protections or safe harbors. And I'm disappointed, I will say, with the, the tenor of those discussions because I do fear that where we'll end up is a is a invitation to sue and legislation that models on some of the failed earlier federal laws, such as the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, which has been a litigation bonanza for the plaintiff's bar. And I see elements of those regimes possibly getting imported into new privacy uh, laws. And that to me would be a big miss because the sort of opportunistic litigation over inchoate privacy violations won't benefit consumers. I have in mind here, you know, the litigation we see under Illinois' biometrics law um, is really vexatious and does not, I think, move the needle for consumers, but is a giant windfall for the plaintiff's bar. And that worries me a lot that with vast amounts of data, um, if you start layering on the ability to sue much more successfully than they've been able to thus far, I think you're gonna see a lot of economic burdens on companies and insurers uh, that aren't gonna actually result in any benefits to consumers, but are just gonna line the pockets for the uh, plaintiff's bar. Megan, that's really important because we're seeing uh, rates go up in our space. And I'm not just talking about DNO rates, but cyber insurance rates, cyber includes privacy. Uh, I think a lot of folks are prognosticating increases this year in the neighborhood of 50% over what people were paying last year. And it's harder to, to get those uh, more difficult uh, risks placed. If that happens, uh, you know, we can see those rates going up even faster and farther. And um, I am definitely concerned that will bleed into DNO as well, because some of that exposure is here. Mm -hmm. You know, the privacy area is so interesting because we tend to think of it strictly in terms of, uh, you know, financial information or health information, that sort of thing. But in fact, you know, the, 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 the areas such as geolocation data or genetic data and, and other forms of uh, 
private information that could be divulged and that could be harmful if divulged uh, makes this one of those uh, areas that kind of expands away from you the more you try and think about it. Um, but I, I, I agree with both of you that privacy could be an area of significant um, litigation and enforcement activity in the months and years ahead, including also even in the DNO space. Um, unfortunately, we are running out of time. It is amazing how fast a time can go. But um, I think what we should do to wrap this up is I'll, I'll ask each of you to make um, one prediction for the next six to 12 months about the impact of the Biden administration. And Megan, you have the advantage of having thought about these things a lot more than Rob and I have. So I'll let you go first. Great. No, thanks. Um, I would think that maybe by the end of the year, we will see really tangible regulatory action um, on cybersecurity obligations. And, and when I say regulatory action, I mean that in the broad sense, either you know some, some clear initiatives that look at enforcement and accountability. Um, I think you'll see some, some real movement at the Federal Trade Commission that'll give us a sense of where they're headed. The, the cases they bring and how they think about these issues uh, I think we'll know a, a lot more by the end of the year by virtue of probably a few key large uh, actions that they take in the cyberspace that are going to be intended to to kind of um, recalibrate the private sector's um, attention to this and uh, get folks really, I think, a little bit worried about uh, what they're doing and the, the, the accountability that the government's going to try and, and follow up with. So, Rob, Rob, what are your thoughts? Well, Kevin, I think we've we've already seen indications of it. Um, the SEC once again delegated authority, or is in the process of delegating authority um, downstream for formal investigations. This is going to be the year, maybe second half, uh, but this is going to be the second half of the year, possibly the year where we see investigation, um, you know, come back to the DNO book, and uh, those of us carrier broker. We will probably find ourselves talking about investigation coverage a lot more than we did last year. Um, and hopefully we'll be having those conversations and doing and getting uh, agreement on what the right uh, coverage is going forward and pricing, uh, because I think there will be insureds that will be facing investigation costs and they're going to want to know, uh, they're going to expect that those costs are covered in their DNO program and they're often not. My thought is somewhat similar to both of you, but slightly different. I think that relatively early on, there are going to be um, enforcement demonstration projects out of the SEC, I think, on, on topics like, for, exact, for example, SPACs or um, retail um, trading, um, the, the um, Robin Hood fiasco. Uh, there are going to be high-profile high demonstration projects to uh, uh, reinforce uh, in uh, regulatory positions, um, along with uh, disclosure um, activity relating to um, ESG issues. And there may be demonstration projects there as well. But I think um, we can anticipate a very active SEC and we're not going to have to wait long to see um, what the priorities are going to be from this new administration. Well, with that, I, I want to thank my fellow panelists for your time and your great comments. Um, Rob, as always, it was uh, great to share the microphone with you. And Megan, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, thank you to PLUS for supporting this. And thank you to everyone for listening. 
Um, and we'll be back again with a third installment um, probably in, in a few months time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this PLUS podcast. If you have ideas you would like considered for future podcasts, visit the PLUS website and complete the PLUS content idea form.